Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This episode of The Kindness Project was recorded live on Facebook during lockdown, which explains why we're probably still talking about being stuck indoors. I hope you're enjoying your time outside to the fullest, and thanks for listening to The Kindness Project. This week on The Kindness Project, we talk about poisonous plants, caterpillars, and we are joined by Shelley Hart. Good morning, morning, morning. Welcome to this episode of The Kindness Project. I am one of your hosts, Chris Dames, and I am joined by a girl who this morning had what for breakfast? A toastie. A toastie? What did you have in your toastie? Ham and cheese, like I have in my toastie every morning. <laughs> who always has the same ham and cheese toastie every single morning, it's Charlotte Dames. And I'm joined by a man who switched... His brew to instant. It's Chris Dames. I have, yeah. You know what? I, the problem is, while I've been on lockdown, I've been drinking a lot more percolated coffee, and the challenge, the challenge I've got is like two cups of that, and I am bouncing off the wall. So I'm back on the instant. Hope you're enjoying your morning coffee, and hope you're having a lovely morning. Uh, we're also joined by an amazing guest, uh, the brilliant Shelley Hart. How are you? Good morning. Um, so, a couple of things we want to talk about before we interview Shelley. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, um, uh, let's do the question of the podcast today. Uh, we've already got some amazing answers for this already, but um, I want you to share live your answer. Um, what's been the most unusual thing you've Googled whilst in lockdown? What's your answer to that, Charlotte? Uh, like, I mean, it probably was about two days ago, and I was... You're writing a book at the minute, aren't, aren't you? Uh, yeah, but I had this idea for another book, and it, it led me down a very unusual Googling path. Well, that's what inspired the the question like, because i was like i was like right because i like you you i sat down next to you the other day and you went to me dad is hemlock poisonous so i was like why are you asking that yeah it turns um, out like trace amounts like 0.1 grams can kill a man within three hours amazing yeah the, <laughs> the fact that you know that scares me shelly what's the most unusual thing you've googled since lockdown So that that's quite an unusual Google. So thank you for that. Uh, hi to morning, morning to Jess, morning to Tracy for um, for, get, for for getting involved this morning. Really appreciate you joining us, and we'd love to hear your um, your uh, answer to the question of the podcast, which is what is your most unusual Google um, Google search since lockdown. Charlotte, do you want to share where people can get in touch with us? I thought you were going to ask me to share more of my Google results. People were about to get real concerned about me. Well, I'm a bit, I'm a bit worried about you sharing your Google results, to be honest. So, so yeah. I mean, some of the things you've asked me to Google. Like what? <laughs> That's how you asked me to Google how much coffee it takes for... No, but no. Um, yeah. um, 
because where can people get in touch right, with us yeah um so if you're currently watching this on our facebook hi you guys welcome um dad's looking at me funny cool. anyway um but if you're not if you just search the kindness project podcast in the top bar then we should come up um but if you want to get in touch with us in other forms we have a twitter at all kindness we have an instagram at on the kindness, yeah. I think it's out you can find us on the website, which is www.thekindnessproject.co.uk. Um, you need to expand Shelley so she pops up in the screen. Uh, yeah. I knew um, and um, you can find us all over, and you can get access to our 120, 130 different uh, podcast episodes that we've recorded over the last couple of years with brilliant people doing amazing stuff in the world, in their communities. Oh. Um, in uh, uh, all over the world as well. So we've been lucky enough over the last couple of weeks to interview people as far as China uh, and as local as two streets away. So, um, and, and Shelley's one of our uh, more local guests because she works uh, in just down the road in Havering. Um, and uh, yeah, are you in the office today, Shelley? We've been in the office ever since. You know, we, don't, we haven't missed a day. We've been working flat out, making sure we, we abide by social distancing and sanitising everything. But our project has been really vital to the community, so we've been in every single day. I think it's something like 65 days lockdown or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and a few more, uh, by the looks of it, coming up. So it'd be interesting yeah. to... Yeah, be interesting to see. The other thing I want to talk about, just on a on a personal note, is apparently I'm repeating myself quite a lot because the girls have created a tally chart, uh, and effectively it's Chris Dames Bingo. And apparently these are the things that I'm saying quite a lot at the minute. Um, I'm saying I'm I'm saying Zoom quite a lot because we're using Zoom for all our for all our meetings. Um, uh, I'm, apparently, I'm asking uh, uh, the girls to make me a tea quite a lot, so that comes up. Um, you know what? The one of the most popular ones is shut that door because you two keep on opening the door and leaving it open, don't you? Oh, it's, it's a little. All right, we'll we'll, uh, we'll 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 let we'll let you off on that one. Um, and then and then well, honourable mentions to this too shall pass. And this too shall pass. Yeah, capitalism. Yeah. So so because I've been doing all my work calls from the dining room, the girls have been listening in in and uh, while we've been trying to make sure our clients are taking a longer term measured yeah. approach I've been using these two shell pass quite a lot in all my calls aren't I yeah. so unofficial question of the podcast is what are you saying quite a lot of at the minute that you um, that you never said before Shelley have you got an answer to that I just think oh my god <laughs> uh, panic <laughs> yeah yeah, and I'd imagine it's quite a quite a busy like sort of busy time every day for you at the minute. We have been absolutely inundated. I'll just give you a little stat to start you off here. Yeah. This time last year, we took 137 calls in a month. Right. And in one day, we took eight, uh, 482. And since we've been in um, the coronavirus epidemic, we have taken 8,900 calls. In just over seven weeks. Blimey, that is huge, isn't it? Is that all? From... And then we're a very small team, so literally we've we've been responding to the community requests. Um, our phone has been ringing off the hook, so we've um, 
quadrupled, I'm not very good at math, I can't work out the percentage, um, of our call ratio, it has absolutely been phenomenal. And is that from people who need help from volunteers or from volunteers or from both? Um, most of those are from people that need help, request help, want information, just want to register for help just in case. Yeah. Um, and in a year, we normally have, on average, since we've been going, about a thousand volunteers a year. Right. And since the coronavirus, we've taken and registered 639 new volunteers. So we've over halfway again for a whole year ratio in just seven weeks. So, yes, yes. Um, we have been um, exceptionally busy. So we, we're gonna we're gonna share a bit more about um, Shelley's amazing work in a minute. Before we do that, just want to mention um, we've got a guy who always helps us out on every single one of our live podca- podcasts, uh, an amazing guy called Dave Forsdyke. Um, he shares his silver linings of the podcast and some of the positive stuff that's happening out, out there in the current situation. So I want to I wanna share some of those stories. Um, firstly, he mentions the fact that um, uh, zookeepers are keeping the spirits high by dancing. Now, there's been a lot of dancing going on in lockdown, hasn't, hasn't there? Particularly, I, I, my younger daughter is obsessed by TikTok. Um, and I, I, I did agree to make a TikTok video with her later, oh, so that that that'll be coming. But the um, one one of the positive sides of what's going on is the Mayor of London, Zvik Khan, and TfL have unveiled their London Street Bates program, designed to encourage a massive increase in cycling and walking when lockdown restrictions are eased. The plan plans aim for a permanent reduction in emission levels and a much healthier capital. Uh, so that'd be interesting to see. The Global Energy Review from the International Energy Agency shows a huge reduction in fossil fuels and CO2 emissions should be falling by quite a decent amount. And the elusive artist Banksy has dropped off his latest work at Southampton General Hospital with a note saying... Thanks for all you're doing. I hope this brightens the place up a bit, even if it's only in blank, uh, black and white. And the piece of art Banks, mm. Banks has produced is amazing, isn't it? Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen pictures. Yeah, so d- definitely look that up. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can have a look at how that how that has helped. Um, and the other thing is people are recovering from the virus. The oldest person in the world to recover from coronavirus has been 103 in Italy. Um, so that's really good news. And Rita Reynolds is the oldest person in the in the UK. You know what I love? An onomatopoeic name. Rita Reynolds. That's, that's lovely. I love that. She's aged 99 and she's a great grandmother from Liverpool and she's made a recovery as well. So uh, part of our remit on the Kindness Project is to share stories of people doing amazing stuff in the world. Did you, did you see on that news the, the woman who um, she caught the coronavirus and she survived it and everyone was like, she survived the Spanish flu. She survived like... Did she? Yeah. Yeah. Like a world war yeah. and she got the coronavirus and she still pulled through. Listen, if you survived the Spanish flu in the world war, 
the coronavirus is a walk in the park, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's just like sort of coronavirus. You have the laugh. That's not going to get me. Um, no, but yeah, I, that little dust particle on my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, I, I think I think interestingly, and, and seeing as we've recently had D Day, if we're going to learn anything about resilience. Um, it's going to be from that older generation, isn't it? Because mm. what we're going through now in lockdown, and we've had this conversation before, what we're going through now in lockdown is nothing yeah. compared to what people of previous generations have, have gone through. Um, and one other thing that I want to talk about before we get on to Shelley is um, the Lord of the Flies. Now, I know, what do you what do you think of the Lord of the Flies? I, I like the book. Yeah. yeah. I know you're not particularly a fan, but I struggled to get into it in the first, like, two chapters. Yeah. Then you look into, like, the symbolism and all that, and I forgot all about it. I, I forgot all about it because at the time I was reading the book, it was like, this is really cool. And now it's like, I can't remember a thing about the symbolism. Yeah, so so interestingly, The Lord of the Flies is about a bunch of kids who get whose plane goes down and they get stranded on an island. Was it not written by a teacher who uh, did William, class? William Golding, it was written by. However, there's one really important thing. Have you, Shelley, have you read Lord of the Flies? Yeah, but but the the interesting thing about the books is it paints a picture of these kids landing on this island and just the world be like like it all being super chaotic and them killing each other and stuff like that. And and interestingly, there's a new book that's come out written by a guy called Rutger Bregman um, called Humankind, who said uh, that was William Golding's fiction and actually would people be as selfish in that mm. situation as uh, William Golding believed and what yeah. he wrote about? And the reality was, in, a, in 1966, there was a natural plane crash. 65. Uh, 65. There was a natural plane crash where kids got stranded on the island for a year. Um, and guess what? They lived quite peacefully and 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 did okay. And Rutger's argument in his book, um, which isn't out yet, I'm going to pick it up when it when it is, is actually we are generally good. Mm. Um, and Shelley, I suppose you see that a lot in the people who, who volunteer, right? Do you think most people are generally good? Definitely, I think there's far far more good in the world than there is bad. Unfortunately, bad publicity. It's the highlight, and, and good publicity tends not to, unfortunately. But there are an awful lot more good people out there than bad, and um, you have to have uh, faith in human kindness and faith in the human being. And I yeah. think we will triumph over evil all the time, and, and yeah. there is far, far more good than bad. Hundred percent. I think you're right. I think sometimes some of the stories we tell in the news and some of the stories we tell in fiction are about the worst components of our human nature but generally we wouldn't exist as a human race if we didn't work together um, and I think that's important to remember so that book is called Humankind it's by a guy called Rutger Bremen uh, while I was out running last night I, I listened to a podcast called Reasons to be Cheerful he was on there talking about his book you're really trying to uplift your mood lately mate I am I am yeah definitely um and and certainly um, certainly that's something that we should um, we we should encourage more positive news in the world. 
And on that note, I want to um, interview Shelley. Um, thank you so much for coming on the Kindness Project. We really appreciate it. Um, so we can uh, start, just in case people don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, so thank you very much for inviting me on today. So I, I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, I'm Shelley Hart and I'm the CEO and founder of the Havering Volunteer Centre. Um, I've been fortunate that I've been working all my life. I started work at 16. I left school on the Friday and started work on the Monday. Those were the days of the back then that you could do that. What was, your, um, what was your first job? Um, I actually worked at the Newham Council um, in, the, in the rates department. Don't, don't hate me for that. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and I started there at 16. I was there for five years, left there, went to work in the Building Society nationwide, left there, went to work in London, um, and left there, and then I started to work in the voluntary sector in 2000. Okay. So I've actually been in the voluntary sector, will, will be my 21st year next year, so I'll have to try and celebrate that. And what branch of nationwide were you at? Were you at an East London one? Oh, right, okay. My first ever job, well, actually, no, uh, my second ever job, I had a, I had a, like, a misstart in my, early in my career, because um, I, I did a year in recruitment in, in Bow and hated it, and then I started at the Woolwich in oh. East Ham. So, oh, yeah, right. so, yeah, it was Did amazing. You know, you know what? It, recruitment, re, recruitment's a weird one, because, um, I, I liked the engagement with the, with people. That was a really good part of the job. Challenge was, is it? It's a real high pressure sales environment, and I just I like relationships with people. It's an interesting one, but yeah. So so yeah, it was it was a good experience back in the day when building sites actually existed. Yeah, when they were proper building sites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so tell tell us a little bit about how you got into the voluntary se sector. London. It was just after the, um, or just before the 9/11, uh, um, and um, I didn't want to work in London anymore. Um, I didn't like London. I've, I've always worked local, um, and I was in London for 16 years. So I thought I fancied a change. I was made redundant. Didn't know what I wanted to do, um, and I saw a job advertising the local Robert Recorder um, yeah. for victim support. Okay. And I thought, yeah, I quite fancy that. And got it, and absolutely fell in love with um, the work that Victim Support did. Um, I love the voluntary sector. I love the ethos of the voluntary sector. Working from um, in London in a big, high-powered, you know, multi-million-pound organisation to a very, very small local charity where you just you had to fight for a paperclip yeah. um, was um, a stark reality. But the difference in the work that we produced, working for the voluntary sector, working for victims of crime. Yeah. It just sat comfortably with me, and I've been in the voluntary sector, as I say, ever since I'm celebrating my 21st year next year. Amazing. And, and I'd imagine you see the impact of your work pretty immediately, right? Yes, definitely. Um, I, I, looking back and looking back on my career, I've always been people-facing. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm naturally drawn to people. I am, I am a people person. Yeah. Um, and I love the interaction with the general public. You, you never know what you're going to get. No two days are the same. Yeah. And it brings the diversity and richness of, uh, of our community. And you see life at the front line. Some yeah. of it's tragic, some of it's sad. 
but you know what, we're, we're there to help and, and through our, our kindness and our support, we can change lives and we do change, transfer lives. So for the last 21 years, I have been working with volunteers and um, they've never amazed me. Their generosity, um, the time they give is absolutely amazing. And, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough for volunteers. Amazing. Charlotte, you got a question? So what kind of work have... Have you been doing during this current situation? This um, well, generally, um, our, our our day job is we recruit volunteers for the community and we help voluntary and community organisations um, place those volunteers with them. So we've actually done 360 degree flipped out our, our line of business round because we, what we're doing now isn't what we normally do in our day job. So now we are um, res responding to the community need and most of that is with emergency food bags. Um, so people that are in this crisis that had to go into lockdown, they can't get out, they can't get food. Um, and we have been supplying them with some free bags of food um, and also getting their medication. So, um, you know, that's, that was the main thing. So that was why the calls have been so high. Yeah. Is that we were, people were calling in, calling out for help. And one thing that we have realised is there is an awful lot of lonely, isolated people out there, even people that we hadn't realised, yeah. um, that normally were self-sufficient, normally would have, you know, happily sort, sorted themselves out every day, going out, getting their shopping. Now, due to lockdown and isolation, they are very, very isolated themselves. And um, they needed someone to get their shopping for them yeah. uh, or their education. And we were that we were that call. So tell us a bit about the background and the history of the Haven Volunteer Centre. So um, I, I, in 2014, I joined HAVCO, which was the Haven Association of Volunteering Organisations, and they closed in 2015, and I was the manager of the Volunteer Centre there. And the Volunteer Centre was too good to close and walk away, and HAVCO absolutely 100% ceased. Okay. Um, and I just thought, I can't let this go, because volunteers would come and say, well, where am I going to volunteer? And organisers say, well, I, I need volunteers, where am I going to go? So um, I asked the team that was working with me, if I set it up on my own, would you come? And they absolutely said yes. So the local authority gave me a little bit of seed funding to start off. And I literally started with a, a piece of paper and a paper clip. Yeah. Um, Costa Coffee was my office. <laughs> I used to work out of Costa's. And from 2015, if you think I started with zero and a blank page and nothing, to where we are today, and we have a core bank of over 3,000 volunteers, and I'm working with about 290 different voluntary organisations. amazing work. I have about 700 different volunteering roles. Um, and they say, if you build it, they will come. And that is a very, very true analogy yeah. because um, they have come and they've come in droves. And, and I can't thank the people enough for that. Shelley, there must have been a bit of a, a liberation about being able to start from scratch, though, right? Because you can build it the way that you think you can, do, you can help people the most. Oh, definitely. What we did, um, I looked at the service, and there wasn't anything wrong with the service that we were delivering before when we was under Pavco's, um regime, but we wanted to make it different, and how could we make it different? And we made it, um, there used to be a signposting agency, and we made it from a signposting agency into a referral agency. And even with the best will in the world and the best determination in the world, if you give someone a piece of paper, they may leave you and think, yeah, I'll do that. But if we actually make that referral for them and make that connection to that organisation and get them volunteering that way, 
we have a very, very high percentage rate of take-up. Yeah. So we make our, our services very bespoke. We're very people-centred. It's a very holistic approach that we use. Um, and we're different because every single volunteer, so think back of those 3,000 volunteers, we have met every single one of those face-to-face. Yeah. We listen to them first and foremost. We find out what their likes are, their passions, their aspirations, what they're good at, and even things they don't know they're good at. Um, and then we'll match our roles to them. So we're slightly different from everybody else. We don't make you match us. We make our roles match you. Okay. And, and we find that people leave us with probably three or four different volunteering roles. Yeah. Um, and even if they come in with a, um, an idea that they want to volunteer for a particular organisation or cause, they will go out with another one as well um, because it's the way that we um, engage with them and that we... Um, volunteers get out of it why do they volunteer it's really really good for people's um, health and well-being it's really good for their self-esteem yeah lots of people volunteer for lots of different motives but one of the things that they want to feel valued and they want to feel appreciated sometimes people coming from um, different experiences some are on a road to recovery yeah some of them getting over an illness a bereavement um, a breakdown in a marriage You know, you know what's no. <clears throat> you know what's interesting. The um, the uh, I've recently read a book called Well Being, and it talks about the component parts that somebody needs in their life life to be a uh, to to have really good holistic well being. And one of those is financial, like worrying about money. It is a detriment mm. to well-being. Another one is family. Mm. Another one is health and fitness. But the one that was the not the most surprising, but the one that you don't think about as much is community. So, mm. so actually, well-being to to be a to to improve your well-being, being actively involved in your community, be that local or the community we've built in the, with a guy in this project or whatever it may be, community is really important. And volunteering gives people a chance to get actively involved in the community, right? Absolutely. And they say that if you have a strong, uh, thriving voluntary sector, you have a strong, thriving community. Yeah. And that is absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I can't um, tell you enough the difference <laughs> volunteering makes to people's lives. We've had people in here that have wouldn't look up um, above their fringe, they wouldn't make eye contact, and leaving here after one hour with us, they're looking forward, they've got hope, they can see a vision, um, and they have they, they have aspirations that they want to um, achieve, and 
this is a good way. It's a stepping stone on the road to recovery, and it does transform people's lives. You know, it it, um, it builds community cohesion as well. Yeah. Because it's a good way of getting to know your neighbours. It's a good way of getting to know your community. And lots of people that are new to the borough, they volunteer because they need to make friends. Yeah. And yeah. And <clears throat> um, um, sorry, go on, Charlotte. So tell us a story that best describes the work you do with the volunteer centre. Well, we're, I say, we're exceedingly busy, um, and the, the, the difference that we see is that we do make changes. Um, we see that we are the lifeblood of the voluntary sector, um, and our volunteers um, are very integral in that. And we always say that our volunteers um, are like, well, our analogy is bumblebees, and we've got bumblebees all over the place because the humble bumblebee is the lifeblood to the ecosystem and without the bumblebee you know our, our flora and flora would not survive and our volunteers are those bumblebees um they are um going from um voluntary sector to voluntary sector um and keeping it alive and our volunteers are that important you can't... And people don't understand the value of volunteering um and if you think about voluntary organizations national voluntary organizations the rnli St John's Ambulance, yeah, yeah, yeah. Air ambulances and the Mountain Rescue. You've got four rescue um, arms there that are all run by volunteers. volunteers. Yeah. And I know if I was out at sea in a dinghy and I was having a, a major problem, I would want to call the RNLI. I would be wondering and worrying if they're volunteers. I yeah. just know that someone's going to come and save me, and that is volunteering. They yeah. have expertise, and there is no just volunteer about it. Sorry, I do preach a little bit. I do. No, no, look, look, we, you know what? We love the fact that people come uh-huh. on and they're passionate about what they do, and also. Thank you for that bee analogy. We we like a good we like a good animal related my, analogy. My mind went on a tangent about cross pollination. Oh, right. <laughs> so what were you? What, what what where did your mind go with that? You know, cross pollination. What's cross pollination? It's where they kind of mix the um the pollen the they stuff. Yeah, they make hybrid plants. Hybrid, okay. So so that, that applies to the voluntary sector how? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we haven't got that yet. We, like... we, we'll include that in the next analogy. Um, so do you think that um, people have become a bit kinder to each other since lockdown? And is the voluntary sector, by the sounds of it, the voluntary sector is not only more needed, but people, more people are getting involved. But do you think that lockdown and this threat that, we're, that we feel that we're under as incentivised people to be kinder to each other. Oh, definitely. I think you know if you can't be, if you can't be kind, don't say anything at all. And I think we need to push that be kind out to everybody. Yeah. You, there is an awful lot of kindness out there. I say we've got six hundred and thirty-nine new volunteers that wanted to step forward and help, and they want to help in all sorts of ways. They just want to feel like they're contributing, yeah. and it could be donating a tin of beans. It could be donating half an hour. It could be anything. I think it's looking out for your fellow man and looking out for your your neighbour, you know, your school friend, um, your relative. It, it just sending out that calm of mind, um, arm of kindness. And some of the people that we've um, been supporting, we put little notes in the bags, we put little um, chocolates in the bags, and 
when they've received them, it has made them very emotional to think that actually someone's cared and thought about them, um, and they felt very alone, very isolated. And we send these, say these bags are a little arm of kindness uh, yeah. to put around their shoulders to let them know that we are thinking of them yeah. and that we are here to help and that they do matter. And a lot of people think because they're old and they're not all of these um, people that we're dealing with are elderly. Some are just isolated or they're um, in ill health. They feel that they're actually forgotten yeah. and they're not visible and they haven't got a voice. Yeah. And by what we're doing, by reaching out to them and saying, listen, we're here to help you in any way, shape, form that we can, we, you do matter and everybody does matter. Um, and that's really basically what it's about. So listening to the volunteers actually want to step up and do something. And we're also listening to the community that in response to their need. Yeah, just a, just a quick question. Where do volunteers find out about you um, at the minute? And where do people who need your help or your volunteers' help find out from you? Is it is it through a... Because I'm a, I am live in Havering and I didn't know about the Havering Volunteers Centre until somebody mentioned it to me. Um, so so where, do, where do people find out about you? leader of the council he does a, a, an e-newsletter every day right. and he's put us on there um to say that if anybody needs help needs a um, check-in we call them a check-in and chat a volunteer buddy uh we can do emergency food prescriptions we're even doing dog walking we walk 20 dogs regularly okay uh, we take people to and from hospital so we're on the daily blog from the from the uh, leader of the council right we have a website we have a facebook page and we are also on twitter we um, send out a newsletter, um, and we normally it's around uh, word of mouth. We try to get into the rock recorder when we can. We do things like you're, you've invited us to do today. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to get our message out there, and hopefully we are um, getting there. And it, we are getting there. Obviously, with these almost nine thousand calls, we're off. Huge. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Absolutely. That still need our support. Yeah, absolutely. And how big's the volunteer voluntary sector in the UK? I mean, how many volunteers, as you say, you've got the RNLI and you've got St John's and you've got these places. How how how, how much of the UK does rely on voluntary work? A hell of a lot. I yeah. have to say, and I, I say this a lot when I do presentations and meetings. I would love volunteers, all volunteers, to strike for one day because I think that way then everybody would realise how many volunteers there actually are helping everybody every yeah. day that you don't realise yeah. the volunteers. Volunteers are very, very professional people. They're not all, you know, in a, in a, um, um, thinking that oh, they're just volunteers. They're very professional, but they take what they do seriously. Yeah. And I think if volunteers were to strike for one day, the workforce in this country would survive. Okay. I also um, don't believe that the voluntary sector is the third sector. I hate it when people call us a third sector because we're equal. We're equal partners because without the voluntary sector, the other two sectors, whatever they are, would not survive. And um, part of the voluntary sector, uh, we have a, an organisation that we would get our policies and procedures from, and sort of an overarching organisation called the National, National Council of Volunteering Organisations, NCEO. And every year they do an almanac. I can't say that word, an almanac. That's an amazing word, but I wouldn't know how to say it. Is it almanac? Is it almanac? 
you know, almanac. you know what I always think when I think of almanac. I think of Back to the Future too, right? Yeah. And the re- the reason yeah. being is because do you remember we bought that almanac that that. But, you know, it had all the sporting yes, answers, and he cheated, didn't he? Yes. But I, 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 I'm sure, uh, looking back to Back to the Future too, I'm sure they called it an almanac. But I'm not sure that almanac, whether that, yeah. I'm not sure whether that's I the right pronunciation. Know. So that would be the word sticking your brain today. How many almanac. times you get the word almanac in your conversation? You know, you know, well, you know, it's just gone on the list. Apparently, I've got. I'm now, if it goes on the list, I'm now obliged to use the word almanac uh, quite a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, right, well, so you can answer, you can look it up. To answer to your question, yeah, there are, from, from from this almanac, there are roughly a hundred and sixty-six thousand eight hundred and fifty-four voluntary and community organisations in the UK. Yeah, blimey. Yeah. Um, and roughly into last year's stats. There are 20.1 million volunteers. 20.1 million. In fact, I think we are on... That is quite a percentage. Well, it's huge, yeah. I mean, you're looking at you're looking at a third of the population volunteer at yeah. one stage in the... Yeah. In, 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 and in the... if you're very good at maths, you can work this one out, is that the um, NCBO always also say that a volunteer will save an organisation roughly £13 an hour. By them giving their gift of time... Yeah. It's a huge amount, absolutely huge. You're in the billions. Yeah. Into the billions. Yeah. I think you said like seven billion when I worked it out last night. Yeah. I can't remember the figure. It's all right. So, and that's why I say it's never just a volunteer. If I hear anybody saying, "Oh, I'm just a volunteer," I have to correct them because your gift of time and that the effort that you're giving to the community, and I, I, and also through this campaign, you hear about. Um, the heroes, we, we call ours havering heroes, and um, you hear about the frontline workers, and I have to say, not once in any of those do you hear about volunteers being frontline workers. If you think about what we're doing here, we're putting our life at risk here every day, coming yeah. in so I haven't missed a day since the lockdown's been on, that our volunteers have been here helping the community. We are also frontline workers. Yeah. You never hear about volunteers. You hear about NHS and NHS volunteers, but actually the, the local community volunteers helping the local community. We were there before, we're there during, and we will be here a long time after everybody else has gone back out yeah. into back to where they, where they came from. Yeah. So, um, I think we need, really need to shout loud and proud about our volunteers. Um, I say for without some, organisations would not be able to survive. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been an amazing advocate of the volunteers and the local volunteer centre. Um, so thanks for coming on and sharing your story. I know you mentioned the website. Can you just let us know where people can find you specifically? It's www. Shelley, can you hear us? Yep. Yeah. 
Amazing. And we'll put that on the show notes to share it. Thanks for coming on again. We really appreciate um, your your time. Um, But now it's time for the answers to the question in the podcast. What's your most unusual Google search in quarantine? And we've got some amazing answers to this one. None of them are about hemlock. None of them are about poisons in general, Charlotte. That is a strange thing to Google. Um, no, it's not. Uh, Steve Dan has picked one where I don't think he's going to be alone in, in Googling this. Where can I buy toilet paper? He, <laughs> he Googled that. Judith Hitchens said, what colour is teal? And did Damon Grant from Brookside have a trial for Torquay? I don't know. Um, and is, is a piccolino crostini a real food? Trev Robinson's been Googling bike stuff, so he's been Googling how, to get, not, how to get a padded rear-end cycle leggings. Sarah Sutherland said, what were the big things in Fraggle Rock called? Well, obviously, they were called the Gorgs. We know that. Look, you could have just asked us, Sarah. I got a um, <laughs> David, David Dennison has just jumped on, just to wind me up, just to, just to have a go, really. He said... How many books did Chris sell? Now, anybody anybody who knows me quite well, right, knows that I did write a book back in 2015. Do you want the other one as well? Um, um, They are are about the book, actually. I mean, even though the next book... The original and the second. The next book I'm writing is about kindness and is about the work we've done on the Kindness Project. The first book that I wrote was about pensions and available in no good bookshops you can't get it anywhere um and it sold all right for a little niche publication um uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna retire on it soon just the book sales i've got to say but um so the answer to david's question just in case uh, it didn't show up on google was not as many as it I wanted. It probably didn't show up on Google. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Sharon Adkins, uh, who I know Shelley knows, said um, pudding rice. She's been Googling pudding rice. Rice pudding. Um, I don't know. Rice pudding. Well, I know what rice pudding is. I don't know what um, pudding rice Most is. Most people don't like rice pudding. It's Neil, Neil Acton uh, has been Googling Marks and Spencer's food boxes. Louise McNamee has been Googling what does the word laudable mean? And I think, I think laudable, along with Almanac, are going to be my words of the day. Um, and then John Cook said, uh, Roger Moore, 1970, in response to a Twitter trend uh, where people were posting photos of them from 1970. We've also had a few from... Twitter as well. Um, you can tweet us at Ola Kindness or you can find me uh, at Chris, C H R I S, Dames, D A E M S. And Catherine Knowles has had a good one, and it's probably one that you're. Um, you're going to enjoy as well, Charlotte. I haven't Googled it yet. Um, will a shaved head suit me? Now, there's got to be an app out there that just, like, you can superimpose your face on a shaved head so you can work out whether it would suit you or not. There's one where it changes your hair colour. 
first women. You that, that is an idea. Buy a bald cap. Buy a bald cap to see whether a shade head would suit you. And 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 Sophie's back from shopping. She'd like to join in as well. What would you like to say, Sophie? Hello. Oh, you just went to yeah. say hello. Yeah. Every single Zoom call, add, I said Zoom, and it's a list. Every single Zoom so call Sophie wants to get involved with, including the podcast. Um, so thanks for joining us today. Hope ah. you've enjoyed the show. We're not going anywhere without one of Charlotte's jokes. Yeah. Prepare to be underwhelmed, uh, Shelley. They're not normally particularly good, but we'll see how we get on. Oh, you want me to start now? What do you call a pig that does karate? Karate pig. Pork chop. Karate chop. Pork chop. Pork chop. They don't get any better, do they? No. And on that... (laughs) And they can't get any worse. Um, Oh, they could. They really could. And on that note, have a lovely day and we'll see you on... For our next episode on Friday, where we've got a <laughs> Sophie's head popping into the video and a mindfulness expert talking about how to cope with um, stress during lockdown. So that should be a really good one. Have a lovely day, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. 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 Bye.